welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 84. And as always, we have a super awesome guest on the show. But before we get there, remember that you, if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, you can uh, hop over to YouTube where you can not only hear our lovely voices, but also see our ingenious faces in full technique. I don't know why. It's ingenious. That was the first, first thing that popped into my head. It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, go over to YouTube if you want to see us. If not, carry on listening to that. Um, because... Today's special guest well, is... Well, before you do announce who today's special guest is, yes. I'm pretty sure this special guest is going to be listening to this audio episode in the car. <laughs> Woo! Oh! Yes! Oh! 100%. Oh. Right, so, um, <laughs> please welcome the highly renowned international portrait photographer, speaker, <laughs> educator, the master of behind the scenes, and our brother from another mother... YouTube's very own Duracell bunny. Give it up for Tommy Reynolds one more time. I've got to give you a clap. That's the best intro someone's uh, ever given me. That's brilliant. Uh, I love that. Yes. <laughs> we love it. Just Tommy, man, how are you? I'm very good, guys. Thank you so much for having me back on. It's uh, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it absolutely is a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, of course, you've been on the show several times. It's been it's been fun every time. And of course, we met um, not too long ago. At the uh, at the photography show in Birmingham mm -hmm. for the first time in real life yeah. in the flesh, as they say, in real life in the flesh. But and it felt like felt like I'd I'd known you for oh. years, even though we'd only met face to face for the first time at the show. Which is one of the many great things about the show is being able yeah. to put f names to faces finally. And it was yeah, it was yeah, so lovely to meet you both. I think I went straight in for hugs in the car park. Yeah, like, we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah in the car park. That's right. <laughs> I remember because we were walking past and. I, I just before I even seen you, I just heard somebody shout, Cambridge Shake Podcast! Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's Tommy. <laughs> you guys are famous. <laughs> I, well, well, I mean, we had our moments, our moments of fame at the uh, at the show. Yeah, there were yeah, a couple. It was, it was very, it was interesting. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah, yeah. It was, it, was, it was weird, weird feeling, weird <laughs> yeah. feeling. Um, it's good though. I mean, you know, it was. Um, I, I think you know, for us, the photography show was was amazing because. You know, since we started this podcast at, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, really, you know, it was literally the first time that things became, you know, tangible. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. there were other human mm -hmm. beings in the same space. And not only did we, you know, have an opportunity to meet up with, you know, former guests of ours, but, but also just generally making new friends and new contacts um, because everybody was so, like, so happy to actually be at a photography show and you know be able to meet up with with other people after two years of online zoom sessions and all the rest of it yeah well they obviously tried to, uh, to do the online versions of the show which was was good but it's obviously never at the same as actually being at being at the show and playing with the equipment and actually seeing people face to face so it was yeah. it was so so lovely it was it was better than i thought it was going to be i knew it was going to be um a smaller room that they would use but it was yeah. it's it was still really really nice and as you said um it's good to f for making friends and even with the limited numbers that it was this year it was yeah. i still had a great time it was still yeah. really good well, to see, see what was your uh, highlight some people but not all so but hopefully next year it will be able to have all the same people there some of the brands weren't there so hopefully mm. everyone will be back next year next september mm. definitely what was your highlight of the show my highlight of the show honestly Careful. It was actually, it was probably meeting you two. Honestly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Uh, you heard it here first. 
puts the fishing line out and <laughs> 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 uh, no uh, it re- it really was it re- one, one of the highlights was see, seeing you two and um uh, see, seeing Alex Benyon again because we don't see mm. each other that often because he's uh, up in the Midlands I'm down in the southeast so it's always nice to see Alex face to face and um uh, obviously given given the talks as well I gave a talk mm. about my uh, my last personal project my last portrait of series and um the the it's just it makes it all worthwhile when you're being being able to share a video with someone or a project with someone in a room full of people versus just hitting the publish button and then twiddling your thumbs and not not getting feedback physically from people there's no better feedback than seeing people physically seeing their reaction or being turned by it it's no better feeling than that like my heart rate goes so much when i'm watching people watch my video or seeing people look at my photos it's uh you you're actually getting that real feedback and there's no no better feeling yeah i mean we were we were at um well actually you dragged kirsten on stage didn't you uh, oh, during yes, one of, of your course. talks how could I forget? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, um, so for one of my talks, I purposely didn't hire a model because I wanted to show how the the lighting techniques I was doing you could do with anyone. So I purposely yes. pulled up random people from the crowd um, just because I thought it would make it more interesting as well and a bit more memorable that, you know, I've not used a model. I'm just going to use uh, random people from the audience, include, including you. <laughs> so so yeah, Kirsten pulled, pulled you up on stage and uh, yeah. got, you, you've got a pretty good uh, uh, rock kind of Dwayne Johnson kind of eyebrow action going on in one of those shots as well. Mm. Awesome. I love that you mentioned that because that is the part I'm going to play to my wife who doesn't like the rock very much. Does anyone? No, well, I'm, look, I mean, I'm trying to convince her because I actually, I really quite like him and I quite, I'm actually quite liking his acting skills, believe it or not, right? So are you watching these blindfolded, these films? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but... But so, you know, we have this, like, we have this, this friendly banter at home where I'm like, ooh, there's a new movie out with The Rock. And she goes, like, oh, no, I'm not going to watch that. I'm like, oh, my, come on. It's actually really good. You know, all these sort of things. <laughs> what, what's wrong with you? I don't know. It's because he's always very well lit, I'm telling you. He's really well lit. <laughs> so, you know, that is, that's literally the conversation that goes on in my house. Because my, my wife went to film school and she, um, you know, she, she specialized, at the time, she specialized in, like, script writing, right? And so she's a, you know, she, screenwriting was her thing. Um, and so, and she has a degree in English and all, all the rest of it. So it's the dialogue that really matters to her, you know? Hmm. And, and of course, I don't really give a damn about the dialogue. I look at like, ooh, the color grading is really nice. Oh, look at the way they backlit that. It's amazing. You know, da, da. Ooh, you look know, at Twain in that, under know, that, underneath that light. Yeah, you know, and so we, so we have these, we have these conversations where I'll be like, hey man, this is, you know, look at this, this is awesome. You know, look at the way that's slid, blah, blah. And she goes like, yeah, but the dialogue's really shit. <laughs> it's kind it of important. I know it is. I know, I get it. But, you know, but this is also one of the reasons why she's my editor. So whenever I write a blog or something uh, for some website or another, um, she's she's my in-house editor. She'll go through the whole thing. I, I imagine she's brutal as well. Well, so... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she kind of is, um, and it took her a little while to get used to my writing style because it's totally different from from right. her writing style. So hmm. she's very, she loves sort of an official voice almost, right? She's really good at at like writing letters of complaints. <laughs> like she's brilliant at that. Um, and I'm more conversational. So we you know when I write a blog, it is my voice. It's 
you know, um, I could read that and it would probably sound more or less like I'm actually just saying it. Um, and so, so that's, that's, that's just my writing style. So she, it took her a, a good hmm, couple of years or something to get a head around, around that. And so she can now edit it or proofread it with my voice in her head. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? My, my oh, wife and I like that. She's she's very formal. Um, she works for the NHS so she, and she's doing essays at the moment. She's studying for her master's. And when I write things down, I want it to come across as informal. Yeah. And it, uh, so it's just, it literally sounds like I've, I've said it out loud. So yeah. I think we're very similar in that. And when she reads my stuff back, she wants to change it to make it sound more formal. So there's a, exactly. yeah, so we kind of balance each other out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's yeah. exactly, yeah, it's exactly what's happening um, in my house. So. Yeah, so that's um, that's that's also the kind of conversations that happen. Wow, <laughs> I, I I imagine uh, your wife's terrified when she's got your voice in her head. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Why wouldn't you be? <laughs> but you know, but then you know, I always say like you know, why like why would you why would you let a non-native English speaker? write a blog in english well you do know that you can't obviously you're you know you're half north american let's say shall we mm. all right canadian fine we'll, we'll call it what it is <laughs> but you can't you know you can't write down air in <laughs> in, in, in a. <laughs> a? <laughs> well yeah it may have happened once or twice yeah. in a row hey yeah, but, hey. Hey? hey anyway 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 hey? <laughs> anyway, hey? so uh so, so Tommy, what's what's been going on um, since the, since the photography show? We've um, you know we had planned to meet up um, and to do to, mm-hmm. to start a little mm-hmm. um, project together. Um, that was delayed um, because, as you know, as some of the listeners may know or may not know, um, my son ended up in or my stepson ended up in hospital uh, for a little while, but he's better now. It's all good. Um, and so that's something we're going to catch up on, obviously, in the new year. But yes. since since we've seen you, what's been going on in your world? Um, so I've just uh, released a new project, uh, a portrait of Tina. That's something that I've been. Um, it was actually a, an idea that I had um, ever since the last uh, video I made. So for those of you that don't know, I'm, I do a portrait series on YouTube called A Portrait of, and the way I've been doing it, I'm only releasing maybe one a year, just because it takes so long to plan and and do, and uh, you know it's coming out of my own finances, etc. Um, but the uh, this this new one um that the idea was kind of formed almost immediately after the last one last year when that i made with hazel the woman um with the wedding dress why she cancelled the wedding and um it was an idea that my mum actually said so tina the uh feature of the newest one she is her best friend and uh my mum said you should do a portrait series or a portrait video about my friend Tina. And I I, I knew of Tina, um, my mum's friend, for well all my life. But I never mm. knew that she was struggling with mental health. She kept it hidden from most people except her close friends, including my mum. So I, I was totally unaware. And I'd seen Tina many times in the six years that she was seeking professional help for her mental health. And my mum then told me about everything that she was going through. I was like, I cannot believe that I, I wasn't aware of it. And But it was it's, it was kind of a lesson that, you know, you, you really don't know what people are, are going through. You don't know what's going on behind closed doors. So many people will put up a front. So I thought that would be a good... Um, it would be interesting then to approach her and see if she would be like to feature in the next episode. Mm. And, um, and she's, she said, yes, I'd love, love to be a part of it. So I, um, and then at the same time, coincidentally, I was, uh, I got a, 
a message from a guy called Krish who works at Carmarthen Cameras in Wales, which is a camera store in Wales. And they're very close with Canon UK with all sorts of promotions that they, they do in store. And they also do live events. And I met Krish at the photography show actually this year for uh, um i've never never met him before and he said we'd really like you to come to our store and give a demo and do a presentation i said yeah that would be great i'd love to um and he told me how that came around so canon uk approached Kamarthen and said um you can pick two of our ambassadors to do a um a demo and a talk and he said can i throw a curveball and give you a name who isn't an ambassador and they said, yeah, sure, who? And they said, Tommy Reynolds. So without me knowing, Chris has been following my work for years and he mm. recommended me. And as it transpired, they said, actually, we can only send you one ambassador. And Chris said, well, I know you said yes to Tommy Reynolds, but could I have just Tommy Reynolds then? And they said, yeah, all right, then. If you want to give him a shot, give him a right. shot. So I kind of have this uh, Chris from Carmarthen Cameras for giving me the opportunity to collaborate with Canon UK. So because my name was put forward, I went to Wales recently. I did the, uh, I did a demo, did a presentation, but leading up to that, I thought, well, now I've got my foot in the door and I've got this shoot coming up with Tina that hadn't been filmed yet. I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could maybe contact Canon and say, look, I know I'm doing this talk. I want to make my talk even more special. Is there any chance? that you could loan me some Canon equipment and I can get this video filmed and photographed with Canon equipment. And at the end of the talk and the demo, I show off this video and premiere it. So it'll be the first time anyone sees it is at the event. And I thought, hopefully that will score me more brownie points with Canon, um, mm -hmm. show that I'm really keen and interested and I want to provide even more for this event that they haven't asked me to. And because I had my foot in the door, I thought there's a good chance they might say yes. And luckily they did. Yeah. So they loaned me the Canon C70 because usually yep. we film everything on um, Mike, my videographer, uses a FS5. So we were using the C70 and a whole host of amazing RF glass. And I and I've recently bought the R5, so that sort of stills were covered. But now we have this beautiful product that um, we've made that's entirely shot with Canon. So we then took that to the uh, to the event, did the demo. And then played for the first time the t the uh, the portrait of Tina video for that. So that's kind of what I've been up to, and so it gave me a kick up kick up the ass to get this project done. Within we filmed it on one day, and then I had less than two weeks to edit the whole thing. And a week of that, I I had weddings and other bits and pieces. So oh. really, I was working solidly on my on my computer here for about six days solid, trying to get this edit ready for the event. Not only that, my videographer Mike has just had a baby as well, so we had to get it in time ready so that before he became a dad for the first time as well. So I had a deadline and I had that push to get it done within seven days, and uh, it was a long, old stretch. But um, I'm so pleased with the product that I have now, I'm, and I'm one of my proudest pieces of work. So that's what I've been mainly up to since I've last oh seen you at the show. So much to talk about there. Well, and, you know, let's start with this. I mean, you know, funny enough, you mentioned the Canon C70, and of course. Um, you know, if one of you YouTubesters, uh, you know, who watches us on YouTube, um, you will see our lovely face being filmed by our C70 just over there. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, that's why. Oh, is it really? Yeah. 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 So that's that's how we're filming ourselves. With, yeah. With the C70 over there. Been using the C70 for a little while now. Mm. Um, but what, a year? Yeah, roughly, yeah. Maybe. In fact, yeah. there is there's a YouTube episode, a YouTube episode, a podcast episode um, from about a year ago where you're just changing over. Mm. And I think you're explaining your reasons why. Yeah, yeah, go the, check that out. I can't remember the episode number right now, but you'll, you'll yes, find you'll it. You'll find a link up there, up there, right up there, or maybe mm. over there. I'm not too sure, but somewhere up there. Yeah. Oh, no, it's a great camera. Really, we really enjoyed using it. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 awesome. It's got, you know, there's a couple little things here and there that you might think, eh, yeah, but the more you use it, the more you get used to the, that particular camera, it really starts to shine when you find it's, you work out its limitations, basically. Well, um, well, one of the biggest feedbacks that Mike gave me, obviously he was the one using it more than me, um, coming from the FS5, Sony FS5 that he uses normally, um, I said, what, what's the, been the biggest difference? And he went, the, the, the colours are mm -hmm. so much better he right. said anyway yeah he said this looks amazing straight out of the camera versus yep. his camera that might need tweaking a little bit little bit mm. yeah we had a lot that was imported onto his um monitor so that we had an idea how it would look mm -hmm. i use film convert um so i'd exported a lot a film convert look lots that was then on his and we just fired it up and it just looked amazing straight out of cameras and that was yeah. one of the biggest differences that mike said that um yeah. he said the colors are just incredible that yeah. he really I, I tell you one of it. the one of the downsides of it is when you're filming yourself like we're doing right now and you're trying to watch yourself <laughs> back on the swivel screen on it why they put the microphone inputs right in front of that swivel screen so that all i'm Looking at it's a bunch of XLR plugs. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> Sorry, I can see myself. I'm fine. Yeah, you're fine. But uh, oh, we we're not using the Ninja this time as well. No, that's, that's no I didn't thing. have time to set that up today. Well, it's probably yeah. a clever thing because I my eye line is always completely off. So if you you know if you're if you're watching any of the episodes on YouTube, you you yeah. notice my eyes wander off to an external screen, which would be approximately there. Usually. <laughs> and, so. Well, I, I've got I've, this is a little RX100 for those of you watching on YouTube. I'm looking at an RX100 here, the compact camera, but you're actually here. And when I do online consultations, I I I. I really, I really emphasize and try to look here, even though I'm not actually looking at your eye yeah. line, although it mm -hmm. looks like it because you're there. But yeah. for out of politeness, I do try and look this <laughs> way as much as I can. And I have you in my peripheral vision right yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really difficult to, to kind of stick to that and not, and not to get excited. That's, that's what I find. It's like, it's so, it's maybe because it's, because, because there's movement on the screen and yeah. you're always, you're drawn to movement. So yeah, it's, um, you know, I find that actually. It's, so you're like a T-Rex or something. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I am a okay. T-Rex, right? Let's just, let's just, uh, you know, commit that to history. Yeah. I am a T-Rex. Right. <laughs> oh, that's a soundbite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Do a remix. Someone do a remix of it. <laughs> you can hear some Mark Bolin in the background there. So I, I do have a quick question for Kay, just before I just go back to your portrait with Tina for a second, is what's this? And for those listening to the audio, <laughs> I thought Tom Baker only, walked in the room. is currently wearing a scarf. I'm wearing a scarf because A, is friggin' freezing outside. Um, so and, hipster. Uh, and and so secondly, hipster. I, I still have a bit of a cold, so I'm, I'm liking the comfort okay. of this. I'll leave that there. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll say more when we're off camera. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. So, Tommy, I wanted to ask you about um, your, your mum's friend, Tina, and, you know, mm. you having you know, met her many times and spoken to her many times while she's been getting, um, you know, some support for her mental health issues over the, over a few years mm. is, 
is I wonder how that kind of affected you and how you felt now going to speak to her about something which you didn't know anything about over the past few years and then asking to do this project with her. How did that, how did that feel for you having that conversation? Yeah. Um, I, it was very strange. I, I did say to her, I felt like I needed to say to it. I said, I, 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 I said, I, Tina, I had, I had no idea. And I know that sounds silly because she, she wouldn't, and that's exactly what she would want is she doesn't want people to know. And as, I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't want to know, but I felt mm. like I had, I had to say, even though it was the obvious thing, I said, I, I felt almost like I needed to apologize because I, I know of her and have known her all my life. But so I, I, I had to start with like, as Tina, I, I had no idea that you were, you, you were struggling so much. Um, and naturally she just, you know, shrugged it off and be like, yeah, it, it's obviously, obviously I didn't, didn't want people to know, but, um, but when I told her about the project, it was actually um, my mum had kind of briefed her and said, um, if if Tom was to approach you, because my parents and family call me Tom, not Tommy. Um, so uh, mm. anyone post uni calls me Tommy because I changed it <laughs> oh, right, from yeah. uni. So, uh, so my mum said, w- would you be happy if Tom like, ever did approach you? And uh, and Tina said actually yes straight away. Um, mm. And this was a year ago when I did my last video. So it's 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 taken a, a year for me to then approach Tina and then say, would, would you be happy? And I, t- uh, you know, I showed her examples of previous videos to give her an idea of how open other people have been. Like that's kind of the idea, the, how, how much I would like you to open up as much as, hmm. because the more you open up, the better it's going to, it's going to come across and the more em- empathetic it's going to be, etc. So, um, yeah. And, and she was she was up for it, so I'm really pleased because I never expect people to say yes because it, you are being so vulnerable and open. But um, mm. I, I had no idea to the extent of how of how bad it was for her. Um, mm. One thing that she won't mind me saying here, but she didn't say in the final video, is that that she almost um, took her life because oh, it got wow. so bad. She was she wasn't as comfortable saying it on camera, but. Um, it, it did get that bad and after eventually seeking professional help and one of the things that she said that isn't in the final cut is that if you do seek professional help you might not find the right person straight away and that's okay sometimes you won't find the right person straight away i myself had therapy at the start of this year when i felt at my lowest with my mental health and um for me therapy didn't quite work it was a temporary fix hmm. and one one of the things that helped me which really resonates with me with Tina's story is that it was more about the family. It was the family connection and the friends. So uh, for me, the biggest help for me was having an amazing network of friends around me um, Mm. that got me through and helped me through my mental health. And that, and it's similar to how Tina kind of came, came out of, came out the other side as well with her mental health. Um, I mean, that's awful to hear that she got to a stage that um, she felt that that might be the way out. You know, that's just horrendous to hear. Um, I, from, a, from a filmmaker's perspective, how did you, because it must be, if it's one of the first times she's really spoken about it to, you know, to someone who she knows well, um, but hasn't spoken about this to before, how did you as a filmmaker kind of, make sure that she was really comfortable and you got what you needed from a film perspective. Um, but she was, 
comfortable giving out the information that she was giving out? How did that shoot go on the day? Yeah, yeah. Um, naturally, the, the fact I've known her all my life, I think, uh, was was already a start. There's already mm. a bit of trust there. She's best friends with my mum. She knows my work very well. She's even come along to when I've had premieres and exhibitions. She's always she always comes along. Um, she she she, she loves she loves my work. She's so sweet. Uh, so there's naturally there's, there's a trust there right at the start. Um, and what what you what might not be obvious is that the shoot itself was actually two days. So the first day was all the stuff that you see B-roll wise of her walking on the beach, kind of in a place. Um, so she had an she already had the time to get used to the environment where we're going to yeah. be. Um, when I initially said we were going to do it at the beach, she said, that's perfect because on my birthday, I love to go to the beach anyway and get fish and chips and relax. That's my thing yeah. to do. Um, and, uh, and, and I knew the interview was obviously going to be the hardest part. The, the first day was kind of a, a warm up. It was shots of her walking and talking. So nothing too kind of, you know, putting yourself out there. It's obviously the interview. That's the main thing. So when she arrived, we uh, we had about an hour where we were just laughing, chatting. I told her, right, um, what was going to happen, how long it was roughly going to last, um, an idea of some of the questions I was going to ask. She actually gave me um, a list of bullet points of stuff that she was happy to talk about. So I okay. kind of then turned those into questions. So she already had an idea of questions that I was going to ask because she already had an idea of what she was happy to speak about. So she kind of already had prepped in her mind then how far she wanted to take it and looking at the bullet points they were as far as i i was happy for her to go um before the interview itself i said to her um i just ex explained to her about about editing i said um we've 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 got enough memory card space than you have uh, breath in your lungs you can go for as long as you want if you want to stop at any point you can and and we can have a drink which we did at one point um, what else did I say? I said, if you mess up or you fluff up, don't worry. The beauty of editing is we can cut that out. If afterwards, I'll send you a draft. If afterwards there's something you would prefer to not be in, we can take that out. So lots of reassurances and, and it, and it will be in part two that I will eventually release when Cassie and Mike and I sit down together in part two, you will see that conversation where she sits down and you see me explain that. Um, and giving her that reassurance and she just said that's fine Tom I absolutely trust you so that was uh, so giving her that as much reassurance as possible mm. helped her uh, calm down and relax and also she asked her daughter Sam was there as well in case she forgot something and also for the moral support as well so all of those little things kind of helped put her in a comfortable place and happy for her to share absolutely I mean to do the the b-roll stuff on um the first day before the actual interview so to speak on the second day what i mean it's yep. such a smart move mm. such a smart move you know to get someone used to a camera yeah and exactly. the style of things is so, it's a really important takeaway for anyone who's doing yeah. anything similar because intuitively i think you would sort of think of it the other way around where you basically do the principal shot or the principal shoot the first day and then base the b-roll on what was being talked about in the actual interview. So I think that, that would be very often that would be such a mm -hmm. logical way to approach it, but to do it the other way around, is actually, it makes a lot of sense. Well, we, we, I, we did that the very first, first one I did when I did, um, if you, for those of you that are watching that might remember Holly, Holly was mm. the girl who was deaf. Yeah. We did that 
actually we did the interview first because i thought in my head that's the most important thing because that is the narrative that's the mm. crust it's that interview so we did the narr the interview first and then the photo shoot afterwards and we felt that it um holly wasn't probably could could have been more comfortable and we realized maybe if we had swapped it round which we did with Hazel, the wedding dress mm. shoot. We we switched it around and realised that works so much better. So yeah. we then did the same for Tina, except we did it over two days because we knew that we wanted to have more time with the B-roll to do more B-roll versus just off-the-cuff photo shoot. We wanted more depth to the story with Tina. So that that's why, yeah, we did it that way around. And that's, I mean, that's, mm. a, that's another really important takeaway. And this is, I think this is something that, is very well worth remembering um, is that, you know, you do something, you debrief yourself afterwards, you look at what went well, what didn't go so well, and you look at um, how you can improve what it is that you're doing and you, you implement these things the next time around. That's a really uh, important, yeah. uh, important thing. I mean, we, we talk about this all the time. You know, it's something that we do on shoots, um, you know, and, uh, and that will basically not only make you a better, you know, filmmaker or photographer, but it'll, you know, it'll, it'll, your work in itself will, be will benefit from it. Absolutely. And you can't feel bad about it either. If you feel, oh, this didn't go so well. It's, not, it's normal. It's perfectly yeah. normal. The important thing is, is that you understand why and you perhaps make a change. Or it might be that just for that one <laughs> particular situation or one particular sure. shoot is not quite the right approach for it. You know, doing B-roll um, first might be the wrong approach for the next, uh, the next yeah. portrait series yeah. that you do. Might be. And also, you know, also the unexpected happens. I mean, the unexpected is guaranteed to happen yes. when you least expect it. So, <laughs> you know, as far as the planning process, because we've, you know, we've learned this the hard way, um, you know, whether it's weather, we, you know, we talked about this the other day, we, you know, we did a shoot not too long ago, um, where, you know, the weather was against us from the yep. first second of filming to the last, you know, and as, uh, you know, that's something I think, you know, especially in, in these climbs over here, yeah. you know, we get taken into consideration more more seriously but uh it's you live and you learn absolutely so. it was um one thing you said about seeing um finding improvements and seeing what what worked well and what didn't work so well one of the things that i i really took away from the last one i did with hazel the wedding dress shoot there was a moment in the interview where uh, Michael Mowbray, he had a 7200 lens on, he was kind of doing the side angle. And there was a moment where he did a really quick zoom in because um, Hazel was starting to get emotional and kind of, um, and Mike wanted to zoom in to get a tight shot of her face. And I, and it's weirdly enough, it's my favorite shot is where he zooms in really quick and then refocuses. Now, naturally people would cut that zoom out and then cut to where the finished zoom ends. Mm -hmm. But what I loved about that shot is that I didn't hide that zoom. It, 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 it felt more, like more documentary where the, cam the camera, the, the lens wanted to zoom in and then refocus to get it. It yeah. felt more documentary and it felt more real. It, it felt less staged. Yeah. And so one, <laughs> one of my biggest takeaways was from that one shot, I want to make the next one feel even more documentary. Yeah. So that's why in the Tina one, you see, you see the mic stand. You see the softbox during the interview. I, mm. uh, you, the camera shakes a bit more when they go in for an embrace or a hug. We didn't want to cut around it to make it look like it was. We didn't want it to look staged or people think, oh well, that's just fake. By adding in those imperfections with the camera movements, it made it feel more real and more documentary, and that's exactly what we wanted. You're because gonna it's love. such a raw project. 
you're going to love Peter Jackson's Beatles documentary, Get Back. I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen it yet? I haven't seen it yet. I do oh, want to see it. my God. I just logged into someone's Disney account no. two days ago, so I, <laughs> I have access to it now. Right. It's, um, I <laughs> tell you wait, what. Wait, should I set that on count? I don't know. <laughs> everything, everything you've just, everything you've just said, um, you will find in this documentary. One of the, probably the most stunning staggering incredible documentary i have ever seen really um it's seven hours of i mean i watched this for seven hours in utter disbelief it was not only beautifully done but you know for film stock that's over 50 years old to be restored to the point where it literally looks like it was filmed yesterday was incredible wow and um, to get that personal insight into what they were doing when they were recording this and all the trials and tribulations and everything else is just remarkable. And, you know, the fact that it was so raw, um, because they had a, basically had a film crew following them for like three weeks or something at the time, and they shot some like 60 hours of footage or whatever. Um, it, it was just unbelievable. And, you know, sometimes there are glimpses where you can see them like on a platform. You can see the camera operators getting stuff ready you know, changing film. Um, there, there are moments where the cameras were running, but the actual Beatles, you know, were told they're not. So you get this, uh, this okay. one scene. Um, so just a little giveaway for those of you who haven't haven't seen it yet. I just, haven't seen it. Right, this one one little moment. <laughs> I'm not going to give too much away, but this one moment that's that really was. Uh, I mean, it was staggering that it actually happened. Um, but it was even more amazing that it ended up in the documentary. So at one point early on, um, George Harrison quits. So he leaves. Right, get this right. So he leaves. He basically leaves the Beatles. He walks out. He's gone. Um, so then John Lennon and Paul McCartney decide to go to a side room and have a little heart-to-heart conversation about what just happened, how they're going to deal with it, and all the rest of it. Yeah. Unbeknownst to them, they obviously went to a side room because they didn't want to be filmed at a time. But yeah, unbeknownst still to them. On? Their mics were still on? No. The film crew had hid a microphone in a flower pot. No. Yeah. And that whole conversation is in the documentary, of course, no. audio only. But it's just, I mean, it gives you such a personal insight into mm. what was going on. Um, it's just really amazing. And just, you know, just as you were just, um, you know, uh, talking about, you know, these kind of zooms and the kind of, you know, these kind of shots that, ordinarily you would cut out and you wouldn't leave in a lot of that is still in that documentary and it's just it just really makes the whole thing so personal and close up yeah and it gives you such an and, and personal is the right yeah. word for it because if this was a if, if you if your um your video tommy was about i don't know uh any you know any other topic that's not personal you know you're talking about yeah. something technical or something like that it just they wouldn't look so good. They wouldn't work, <laughs> yeah. those kind of shots. No. But because you're doing, the topic is so personal, that adds such a whole different level mm. of personal, a personal touch to the to the filmmaking process. And it makes all mm. the difference. And but, they, these are the little gems that add have a great video, great production mm. to a completely different level. Yeah. 
Well, you almost feel like you're a fly on the wall. You feel so privileged yeah. that you're it, you're in this space, and that you you don't you it's you feel like you shouldn't be here. That you're in a space that you shouldn't be, but yeah. you're experiencing that. Like with the with the quick zoom, it's like it wasn't planned. Like it doesn't feel planned when you do that uh, because everything everything's supposed to be so gleamingly perfect and you know at the end of my video where she said um you know thanks to my friends and family that i've managed to get through and it's all it's all thanks to them and then you see me say i think that's a perfect place to end is there anything else you want to say and she was like no i think that's it and then sam steps up comes to give her a hug now normally you might end the documentary when she says and it's all thanks to them fade to black maybe yeah but I carry on. I want to see the rest. And it was um, it was when I did an interview with Sean Tucker um, that I shook his hand. I said, thanks very much for watching. And then he turned to me and went, that was really great, dude. Are you happy? And I went, no, I'm really, really happy. And I thought, I want to include that. I like yeah. that that little exchange that we have. So there's a really slow fade to black. Well, and you can still hear us having that conversation. Again, that little exchange is when Sean's not expecting that to be in the video. There's nothing wrong with what he said, but it's a it's a it's a vulnerable and a human exchange because yeah. I'm not doing presenter mode like thanks for watching. I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. So it's because of that moment that I thought I want to see the rest. I want everyone wants to see what happens directly after those last words. So you yeah. see Sam giving yeah. a hug, and then she's like, "Oh, well, that, that was okay. Was that all right? Yeah, yeah. That that was that was okay." Mm. She said. And I want to see that. And I just yeah. think it feels more human. It's just like, totally more you feel human. like you're, you're, why, in that, you're in the room that you shouldn't, you yes. shouldn't be seeing that moment, but you're there in the room. Mm -hmm. And that's why I called you the master of behind the scenes earlier, because you really have that, <laughs> that sort of sense. And I think, <clears throat> you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, and it's annoying calls. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> best, best get that scarf tightened up. Hey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I remember, um, yeah, we, we we were having a conversation at one point. I can't remember what this at the uh, photography show or before that, but um, you know, do you remember back in the day of of DVDs? Yes. You know yes. when you know when when one had to go out and buy a DVD or order a DVD, and you could get you could get like the standard DVD version, which was the theatrical version, you know, of, of the movie or whatever. But then you could get sort of the double DVD set, which had you know the behind the scenes and all of that kind of stuff on a separate thing. And I remember. Much like yourself, you know, I always used to go for the double DVD set with always all always. the behind the scenes, and very often always. I'd watch the behind the scenes before I actually watched the movie. Yeah, just because you know, just because um, I've always been so fascinated with um, with how things are being made in the process and all of that kind of stuff that went into that. Um, and I think you know, I, I sort of uh, I remember us having a conversation about your sort of slight obsession with that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Kind of is, yeah, yeah. Like, um, and and Cassie's the same. My sister, she loves behind the scenes. Probably gets that from me. But it just make I just feel like it makes you appreciate the film more. Some people will say, "Doesn't that ruin the film?" And no. I think, well, maybe to some, but to me, it doesn't. It yeah. it it makes the film even better because yeah. then I can appreciate the filmmakers and everything that went yeah. into it, yeah. the process that went through it, the the level of of effort that went into that one shot. I can, yeah. I, it almost feels like trivia. Like I can then yeah. I can tell yeah. to people I say, well, actually for this shot they had to do this, this, and this, and I yeah. and no one ever says, oh, I wish you hadn't told me that. Like, yeah. oh, well, that's yeah. ruined it now. No one <laughs> yeah, ever says exactly. that to me. You know, my so, wife says exactly the same thing to me. She, you know. 
she says the same thing. She's like, oh, well, you know, doesn't that ruin the thing for you, the, the movie for you? And I always said to her, like, well, look, we all know it's a movie. I mean, we all know it's make-believe, right? There's no question <laughs> about this, right? I mean, this didn't really, you know, War of the Worlds didn't really happen, you know? Um, what? Well, I mean, you know, actually, in t- I tell you what, this is... Sorry, there are too many spoilers happening well, in this, know, in this episode. Know, know. <laughs> are you saying Star Wars wasn't real? I mean, what? <laughs> you know, but, but, um, but I always think, like, you know, it's a little bit like, you know, when people nowadays... Um, you know, in, in the in the world of headshots, like you 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 do a modern style kind of New York style headshot, and, and somebody goes like, "Yeah, do you cut the top of his head off?" And it's like, "Well, yeah, but we all know it's there." I mean, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Stop it! You're blowing my mind. <laughs> but I remember there was one shot actually mentioning War of the Worlds, um, the Tom Cruise version of that. There's one shot in that um, that even flabbergasted my wife. I remember we were watching it together, and there's this one shot where they are um, they're fleeing. The uh, they're driving out of the city. They're on a highway, and they're basically they're in this like minivan. I know the shot you're about to d- describe, yeah. and you know, and they're basically having to get out of you know out of the way of like lots of cars that have been left and whatever left behind. And there's a there's a camera shot that is so incredible when you watch it. It go it the camera flies. It's a continuous. It looks like a continuous shot. Is this the through the car? And yeah, it's back, like yeah, the camera's yeah. everywhere. It's in front yeah. of the guy. It goes around it. It goes through the car. It goes over the car. Behind the car. Over the car. It's like you just go whoa 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 how. And then you know, you go wait a minute how did they do this mm. like mm. how is that actually done and of course you know it, there's a there's a there's a large um you know a big part of the behind the scenes footage on that is is about this shot and how they created this you know mm. which parts of it were practical which ones were cgi and all yeah. the rest of it it's, it's like 1917 right that's a different thing mm. though because a lot of that was practical yeah, yeah. it was you know, yeah. and that was uh that was, that was a few jump as... shots and whatnot were all CGI, but um, yeah, yeah that's great. I still haven't watched it. Do you know that? That's really only you two shots. The whole oh, movie. Nick, you've got to reason why. Because you... I, I want to be in the right frame of mind to watch that. I want to yeah, watch it as do. a film and I want to rewatch it as to kind of dissect it a little bit as to yeah. what's going on. And I'm not finding a couple of hours free to where I can sit down without a laptop, without a camera looking yeah. about, where I can just sit there and watch. And it's frustrating Look, about me i didn't think i was going to find seven hours to watch the beatles documentary but i did <laughs> see that Late i also <laughs> want to watch really into it you know mm. rather than doing other stuff like i normally do oh you have to yeah yeah you know? for sure yeah yeah you know? speaking of war of the worlds you know they remade it again did they? they yeah like a year ago two years ago or oh, something as, like that 2017 no, it's a tv show no no it it's a film because it popped on t- um virgin the other day i saw really? it got five minutes in Turn it off. What, really? It? Is it bad? Not Tom Cruise. Oh. Uh. Well, if it's not Tom Cruise, then not. No, we do like a bit of Tommy Cruise. <laughs> yeah. Tommy, if you're listening. No, no. <laughs> Tom Cruise is always running in his films, isn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. Makes yeah. him look taller. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> lots of low angle shots when they, when you're filming Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah. 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 Lots of like Apple boxes, you know. Yeah. Apple boxes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this um. There's some uh, some spreading image uh, mockery of Tom Cruise. Have you seen it? I haven't. No. Oh man, they're mocking him so bad, like for being short. <laughs> There's some <laughs> driving for scenes like, for being short, and not yeah. Scientology. I think that comes into it sometimes. It's mainly for being short. Okay. <laughs> uh, bless him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bless. Aww, you know. <laughs> so tell me. Um, okay. So come, coming back to um, to your. Uh, portrait of Tina. Um, so, so you mentioned um, earlier that you're trying to do a documentary, or not documentary, a portrait um, 
like that about roughly about once a year. Mm -hmm. Um, because because there's because of all the, the prep that has to go into that. How long does it take you roughly from the sort of inception of a project like that to the final? Um, yeah. to the final well, I say it takes a it takes a year because of prep. It's not entirely true. It's just because of finances and other commitments for sh for sure. Um, I I don't want to rush these. And no. as much as I would like to be consistent, because that's supposedly the thing to do. My my friend uh, get, said something uh, re, re, something that's always stuck with me uh, ever since I did the first one. And he said, "Look, even if you only make one of these a year." and you look back in 15 years time, you are going to have an incredible body of work to look back on. So don't feel rushed that yeah. you need to do more to be consistent, to keep up with the, you know, the, the social media game. So it's not, so it's, it's, it, that they just happen to be once a year. It's not like a, a, like I'm aiming for it or I won't do any more than a year. It just, it's just happens to be over the last few years that's when they happen because mm. I need to yeah. obviously have a, a, a clear diary for a bit and no, no, no other work on. I've got to make sure I can finance it, pay for the location and the, ca um, the uh, camera operator and have time to edit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so Tina's one was, was, was different because I, I almost had deadlines unlike the others, there was no real deadlines, but for this one, just because of the Canon UK thing and mm. the talk that I was doing, I had two weeks from start to finish to do it. Other times, like the Hazel one, I filmed it and it wasn't out for two months. So it's 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 more just a finance thing, and when I've got time to commit to that big personal project, really, yeah. yeah. It's, it's also, I guess, you know, um, it's probably also about finding the right subject. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, I don't know why I didn't say that, but that's that's an obvious one as well. Yeah, mm. I, it's. And and, the, and these are all people that I know. They're not. It's not like I'm taking applicants or anything, and I'm reading through this. <laughs> yeah, audition. Yeah, that'll, that'll be good. Everyone I've interviewed and spoken to are either a close friend or someone I know know of very well. And again, it just so happens that it it's happened to be once a year. Mm. Um, I have. Uh, I've got. I've. I've got in the pipeline um, a subject for the next one. Um, I can't say who it is. I can't actually say who it is right mm. now. Um, I can tell you offline, um, but it's, it's, it might happen sooner than a year than within a year's time. But yeah, you, okay. you're right. That's definitely a factor as well. Mm. People, are, uh, people aren't queuing up to tell their mental health story, obviously, yeah, because it's so vulnerable. So yeah, you, you that is definitely a factor. Yeah. It's, you know, what, um, really fascinates me with, with your, um, with your little films, if I call it that, is, you know, how, you know, how really close up and personal and how open you know, your subjects are, um, talking about themselves. You know, I remember, I think, you know, again, we've spoken about this on the, on the show before, but, um, you know, when the pandemic first, actually when, it, when the pandemic first started, when the first lockdown just started literally on the first day, um, I thought, because I thought this was going to impact us as a family and the kids and stuff. Um, I thought I was going to make a little documentary about, about, about how it affected us, you know, because it was like, you know, unprecedented. Mm. an unprecedented situation and everything and i thought it'd be interesting to document how we as a family would deal with a you know a pandemic and lockdowns and all the you know all the everything all the limitations that came that came with it and the stresses and everything else and i decided to start the whole thing off with 
interviewing my wife and my kids and being interviewed myself by my wife about the fears and the feelings that we had about what was about to happen without actually knowing what was about to happen. So that was at a time when literally the, the first lockdown had just been announced. Everything was extremely serious and grim looking. Um, but nobody actually knew how long this was going to last. You know, we obviously, we all thought it was going to be over in like six weeks. <laughs> something at the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, um, and what actually happened was, so, you know, I interviewed my wife and, um, you know, my youngest daughter, for example, my stepdaughter. And what became really very obvious very quickly was how much fear there was in their voices mm. about the unknown and the time that, that lay, that lay ahead. And I remember sitting down to edit that first episode, because I think the idea was to make it episodical. And I remember sitting down to edit that first episode. And after about a couple of hours or something, I basically went, I can't, I just cannot do this. Like, I can't do this. And, and I, I basically parked that ever since then. And I can't, I can't bring myself to even watch the raw footage back because it was so emotionally loaded. Mm. Um, and, you know, to see, like, to listen to my then eight-year-old daughter talking about her fears and thinking like, oh, man. I didn't realize how much of this she actually understood. Right. And, you know, and how it actually affects her, even though, you know, she's eight years old and she, she hears it on the radio and or on, the, on the radio. Ew. On the, on, on the, the wireless. wireless. On the wireless. Oh, yes. uh, on the know. crystal. Yes. On the, you know, um, she, you know, she hears, she, she hears stuff on TV and she overhears adults talking about it and everything else. And, um, you know, it's one of these things where I just went, I just can't, I just cannot, I just cannot do this. Right now. But, actually, but, we, I, uh, but at the same time, I think it's great that you have done it, though. Albeit you can't edit it right now. Maybe someone, no. it, maybe even Nick can edit it. But it's we, good that yeah, you've documented that moment in time. As you said, it's yes. unprecedented. And it's it's a way of archiving. That's why I love doing these projects. Mm. Cause, uh, um, and, and that it's on YouTube and it's somewhat archived, if you like. Um, yeah. That you can look back at that moment in time. And it's... it's it's, I, I think it's, I think it's a great thing that I didn't realize how much I loved documentaries <laughs> until I started doing my yeah. own project when I real I, I actually, yeah, love documentaries. It's so mm. raw and real and passionate and meaningful. And you can, with, 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 with it, you can, I can just load it with so much creativity and art forms with mm. huge, that's the beauty of video in general. You know, you can add music, we can add photos and moving image. We can add so much creativity in video specifically as a medium so that's that's why i enjoy it because you can just load it with all your all your favorite things and supercharge an emotional state yeah. and you can um, really manipulate the, the viewer as well just by like by picking the right music for instance to yeah. go underneath it's like you have this ability to to really drive somebody down the route that you that you want them to emotionally end up yeah. you know mm -hmm. so um that's one of my favorite parts is picking the music i use a uh, music bed there's others out there like epidemic sounds one thing i like particularly about music bed i feel like personally the production value is is stronger and it's bigger it sounds like bigger productions and i love orchestric music and mm. cinematic ambient music i've got go-to filters to find my pieces of music that i like and, and it's pieces of music that i enjoy editing to that i have an emotional 
response to I, I i'm a sucker for a love song i like love movies you know i i want that emotional Hello. kind of brain <laughs> chemical in in you know that's what i respond to you know that's what makes yeah. me think and so that's why i i like to to make these videos they're my own version yeah. and you know it started out as a behind the scenes video a technical behind the scenes video and now it's transpired and transitioned to mm. you know it's just natural progression in your work and how i've now it's becoming, you know, like short documentaries and films. And then there's still behind the scenes of me actually taking photos and seeing photos and seeing the technical aspect, but hearing an emotional story in the music. And it's just what I love so much. I'm just putting so much of, of all the good stuff into one package and one product that I can, I can share with everyone. Do you pick the music first? Interesting. Um, sometimes I do. Sometimes uh, the music dictates the whole narrative. Sometimes I can listen to a piece of music and... Uh, you have an idea straight away from pace for, because of the because of the um, the uh, what's that the time signature is that the mm. is that the right Tempo. word you get you sure. get an idea of, of pace and how the camera might move um, mm. you visualize the how fast it might move what kind of cuts are they are they cuts or are they tra uh, what kind of transitions are they cuts are they crossfades um, so sometimes yeah I will pick the music. I will pick the music first. Obviously, that's not the norm in in the film industry. You would have it the other way around. And I think we spoke about this actually on a on a previous episode as well, where I, you know, I don't have the luxury of obviously having uh, an orchestra make music based on what I filmed. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes that gives me the uh, that gives me the um, the inspiration when I hear the music first, and then all mm. of a sudden the, the visuals come to mind. So. I don't mind working that way. I quite enjoy it. I, I've got a random playlist on music bed that I will play through or it will just play at random. And, and, it, and I could be working for, cool, this, this is really nice. And I'll, I'll favorite it, put it in my playlist, and then I might revisit it later and mm -hmm. think what maybe idea mm -hmm. could come later. I've got a, a bunch of tracks that I would like to use in the future that I think, oh, I love this. It gives me an emotional response to it. And yeah. So maybe uh, those I'm just waiting for maybe a, a story to come along that would fit mm. that. Mm. But sometimes the music dictates the narrative. Yeah, absolutely. So you don't have John Williams or Hans Zimmer behind you there, no? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, uh, have you seen Hans Zimmer's masterclass? Um, it's it's masterclass.com. There's a trailer where he speaks about how he did the music for Batman, and he's got uh, even down to the position of where he puts them in the auditorium. So he's got four French horns on the left, four French horns on the right, and they're way up into the upper circle. And mm. it's just two notes and how that they can have such an emotional response. Like, doom, doom. Mm. just two notes, four, four French horns left and right. Yeah. It's just incredible. Like the man's yeah. a genius. Just the, yeah, the, the response yeah. to that. It's so good. Yeah, he's 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 all right, isn't he? He kind of knows what he's doing. Yeah, well, it's a very methodical and German, as you say. Ah, I see. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, uh, uh, Hans Zimmer, John Williams, who else? Um, uh, James Newton Howard, who does a lot of M Night films. Um, who's the guy who did the Nightmare Before Christmas? Who also was the voice of Jack? He's also uh, oh. is it Samick Howard? Um, is also a great composer. Williams is an absolute legend. I just, I love the Jurassic Park theme tune because there's so many layers to that. You think that yeah. the theme's going one way 
it's got a recognizable melody and then there's a, another recognizable melody that come that happens later in that Jurassic Park theme yeah uh, obviously uh, I don't think I said it even at the start but I, I actually went to films filmmaking school I went to film school so that's kind of where I feel like for the for the first time since graduating university over 10 years ago that I'm now finally putting together hmm. what I've learned and putting it making it as part of my work <laughs> And we as have seen some photos of Tommy at film school. Oh, yes, we have. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, that's true, yeah. And if mm. I can encourage Tommy to send those over <laughs> after we're done, we might <laughs> slot them in here, but we'll see. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that'll be fine. No worries. I was, uh, <laughs> okay, wait for you for us. I had somewhat of a Beatles haircut, I think, actually, growing up. It was everything was flat. <laughs> forward down certainly wasn't gray well it was, that was uh that's that sort of the emo phase was it I, I did go through an emo phase i even had blonde highlights in my hair at one point riding a skateboard round round my area it oh, wasn't wow. a good look <laughs> well you know i don't know i don't know you know i'm on board with the skateboarding that's you know that's still happening yeah obviously <laughs> do you um did you also wear scarves indoors <laughs> <laughs> Uh, some you know i sometimes i do sometimes i do i'll but you don't have to make him feel better it's comfy i like i love this scarf because this this like this looks like a scarf like you know from like victorian london basically oh yeah right okay that's that's uh so you, so like I'm, a... getting, I'm getting doctor who vibes oh um, no my wife said exactly the same thing she goes like oh you're my favorite doctor who and like, oh, <laughs> Are you one of the female I mean, Doctor Who? To be honest, when when you first popped up on Zoom, I thought I was sat with Tom Baker. <laughs> Tom Baker. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, are you are you a Doctor Who fan? Um, no, not really. Never really got into it. I never knew. Um, More Star Wars I than never, Star Trek. I never knew Doctor Who before I moved to the UK, and and I remember like this was like in the late nineties or whatever, you know, my flatmate went like, Oh, what? You don't know Dr. Who, you know, I got to show you something. And he showed me some like old episodes and I was watching him like, I don't know what the, like these special effects are crap. Like, <laughs> what? like what, what do you I'm, mean? What am I looking at? <laughs> this is terrible. What do you mean? <laughs> so I never really got. It's, it's kind of crude and charming, isn't it? I think it, yeah. Are the words, cause, cause they still kind of have that even in today's episode, I don't, I don't watch it. I caught one episode though last week or just like bits of it, but it's, it, they, they don't try and go over the top with their, with their effects. It, it feels like it's an old, an old episode with modern technology. Like yeah. I watched the one with like statues, but and oh. it was just cuts and then they got closer and closer. You oh, know, it's not, seen it's yeah, nothing yeah. where they're actually moving. It's very, yeah. very Doctor Who-esque from yeah. back in the day, isn't it? It's, it's very charming kind of, special yeah. effects i, I think, mean i yeah. think more than visual the, effects they managed to really very cleverly get over this like oh uh we're replacing the lead actor bit you know but just like re whatever it's called but are they remorphing or something or whatever oh, the no thing idea is. <laughs> it's you know he goes into his like thing and then a different actor comes out and all of a sudden he's he or she is doctor who now mm. so yeah you have know. you got a police box in your front garden um no actually funny you should mention that um, no, I don't. But I was <laughs> I was thinking about acquiring um, a red phone box. You know? Really? Yeah. So the only phone boxes you can get these days all smell like urine. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, <laughs> just saying. Well, you know, I, I have a puppy dog at home, so everything smells like urine. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no difference. <laughs> Plus, we just had COVID, so we can't smell anything. It's all good. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I thought I thought it'd be cool. It's quirky. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Where, where would you put it? In the garden. Yeah, in the garden. Front garden. No, no, no. In the back. Okay. That's the idea. Yeah. How how are you getting that in the back garden? <laughs> we have an. You know, we have an alleyway. Do you? Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, there's an alley like by the side of my house. I can get get in there. Okay, if you get a police box, you come talk to me again. Yeah, or a police box. Yeah, that'd be cool. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It's like for all the non-Brits amongst us, you know, there's a certain nostalgia when it comes to like red phone boxes. I'm interested that you're going for a red phone box rather than your own Millennium Falcon. Oh, that would be cool. I'd See? Be, I'd be game for mm, that. See? Sure. Yeah. There you go. Does somebody sent me photos of um, somebody's front garden with like, like, St- like Yoda, like statues and like bushes. Oh, I showed into, you. Like, that was you. I showed you. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. My my friend was on a, was was on a job and oh, he, it was right. just in the happened to be in the garden. Yeah, yeah, bizarre, awesome. right? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm totally game for that. So th- this is where the show descends into Star Wars talk. By the way, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell me, um, wh- so what else is happening on the um on the portrait photography side at the moment? So you've done you did some um some uh. Uh, demos for uh, for Canon. I also know you you uh, did a, a workshop in London. Yes, um, it was a workshop that should have happened last April, mm-hmm. and we did that. We eventually were able to reschedule that, and uh, it should have been sold out. But one one of the mem- one of the the attendees caught COVID, so I'm really glad that I asked everyone to do a lateral flow three days leading up to it, because mm-hmm. as it transpired, someone was asymptomatic mm-hmm. and actually was uh, tested positive but yeah we were super safe everyone wore face masks and we did a um a workshop in london uh, i've never done any workshops outside of the southeast i would like to try and i've had requests to do it but i i just have a fear that no one's going to turn up if i go <laughs> further than my hometown or london or right. southeast but i have requests and would like to next year maybe try it and take the workshops further afield and do the midlands and mm. um, maybe even far as glasgow um potentially who knows? Maybe next year. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, that'd be but amazing. I'm, I've got more emphasis on uh, on wedding photography, actually. I'm going to be doing a host of wedding photography specific um, tutorials hmm. for next year. It's something that I'm, I'm, I'm focusing more on. It's what, um, to put it bluntly, makes me far more money than anything else I currently hmm. do is wedding photography. So, and I've really, I'm really enjoying it more ever since I got the R5 doing that, those type of events on that camera is so much easier and more enjoyable if to be honest so it's something that i'm focusing more on next year is, would is you find uh, this... more wedding photography as well as hopefully doing some workshops further afield in southeast would you find this the, the main difference between using i think you were using a 5d mark ii beforehand uh, i had a mark ii and then i had a mark three for nine years i still got it right. and uh and now the r5 so where in what way does the r the r5 make it easier for you to shoot weddings very specifically specifically autofocus nothing right. to do with the uh, quality so if i was purely a wedding photographer i'd probably have gone with the r6 hmm. or a couple of r6s because of what i do outside of weddings the commercial portraits i i did want the extra megapixels and also the extra video features that come hmm. with the r5 as a hybrid shooter as well so the main shot actually of tina 
front-on shot was actually the R5. It wasn't the C70. The C70 ended up being the side shot, and we used the front-on as the R5, and that really blew me away, the quality. We used the 85mm RF 1.2 glass, which just <sighs> looked incredible. And the main difference from the Mark III to the R5 has been that autofocus. I knew I'd made the right decision. Same as my wedding photographer, actually. I knew I'd made the right decision when I went mirrorless, when I shot my first wedding with the R5, and I had the bride coming down the aisle towards me at 1.4. I was spot on in focus yeah. every single shot wow. as she was okay. coming towards me. And I knew then I've made the right decision going mirrorless. <laughs> yeah. It's scary. It's the autofocus so is scary faster. good. It's so, just so much faster. I can't yeah. tell you. It's so much yeah. more enjoyable to shoot with knowing that 99% of the shots will be in focus. And obviously... Hmm lifting the camera up high and using the the lcd screen which is obviously something that i've not been used to because i've only just transitioned from dslr um to that so i mm. i'm getting used to that feature i know it's old hat now but it's nice to be able to lift it above head knowing like what i see is what i get using mm. if i'm shooting natural light I, I can shoot quicker like if i'm just using a diffuser like i did with the tina shoot we were just using a diffuser we weren't using off-camera flash if I'm using that at a wedding, I know I'm going to get now the exposure because what I see is what I get. So th for yeah. those reasons, it's been good. Nothing to do with megapixels have made it better. Yes, mm. it has more megapixels, but it's been the autofocus has been the reason, main yeah. reason yeah. I've transitioned to that camera. I haven't used the R5 myself, but I, I, use, I use an R6 as well as my primary stills and kind of um, secondary um, video. Mm. And the autofocus on that is just oh, out. Right. It's the same as the R5, um, which is why I would have gone with just the R6 if I was purely a wedding photographer, because the autofocus is the same in the R6 as it is in the R5. Um, so for, yeah, so that, that's why I would have been content with the R6. The autofocus is incredible. Yeah. yeah. Oh, love it, man. But yeah, I can't believe you got to play with the 85. <sighs> I was a kid in the candy store. Again, this will be in part two. I'm so jealous. Where I, where I filmed me unboxing the C70 and all the RF glass when it came to my house. Hmm. And I was, I, I didn't have to return the lenses right away. So I had them an extra day and I had a wedding this extra day. Hmm. So I took the 85 and the 2870 F2 lens to this wedding. And 90% mm -hmm. of the shots I got that day was on one lens, was on that 2870. Yes, right. it's a heavy lens, yeah. but my God, did I feel so much more confident on uh, during that wedding. There was even yeah. a moment where the bride and groom had specifically asked for four more shots to be taken down the steps and by the fountain, but they had quite a few older people at the wedding which, and and so last minute i said we're gonna have to do it at the top of the stairs and my camera bag was inside and i didn't want to run and get that thinking i needed to get a wide angle because at the mm. time i had the 2870 f2 so it was no problem i could just zoom out still get beautiful f2 um shot um at a 28 millimeter focal length so for that reason it just i just felt oh my god i'm so glad i have this lens on mm. and it's just Oh, yeah nice. perfect wedding lens it really is it's just so much money though so much money i really didn't want to return it uh, <laughs> yeah. so i will eventually eventually buy it myself that will be the first rf lens i buy but for mm. now the ef glass is still pretty quick yeah, yeah totally the rf stuff the, the rf glass is absolutely unreal i love it yeah. absolutely love it and i really want that 85 um it's they, they do two versions of it if i remember correctly the kind of the 
the regular version one which has got this kind of um i think it's got like a highlight roll off and it's very very smooth um and it is you can see the difference in the the bokeh um mm. with between the two it's really really interesting i didn't know they made two um, i think they do I'll, I'll, if i'm if i'm wrong i'll cut this out but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no you, we're gonna leave this right. in <laughs> so no, you punish me every because, time <laughs> no because i was looking i was looking at them maybe a month ago right and they did there was there was two two slightly diff, very very slightly different versions okay yeah okay i'll have to i'll have to look into that um i i i don't know then which one they sent me it was there it, is it are they both 1.2 yeah i believe so Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, I'm going to go off camera and, and just look, look it up in case it was, it was on another league. Cause I've never actually owned an 85 millimeter lens. I've always wanted, I've always wanted to get one. So when I had the opportunity to use it at a lens, it's a focal length that I'm not used to, but yeah. shooting at 1.2, cause it was, it was, uh, it wasn't that long ago. So it got, it gets dark pretty quickly this time of year. Mm. And I was shooting at 1.2. ISO was screaming high, but it's okay on the R5 compared to the Mark III. Yeah. The eye autofocus was locked in because and, and it needed to be at 1.2. And I was just so blown away. That I tell, lens I tell you what unreal. I love about the 85, um, or about 85 focal length in general, um, especially for portraits. Um, it's one of these funny things, you know, when I, when I do headshots, um, I typically start off um, with a 70 to 200. Mm-hmm. Um, at a focal length of like somewhere between, I don't know, 160 to 200, probably around that. Um, and it's a good way to start. It's the go-to lens for a lot of headshot and portrait photographers, obviously, um, because of the compression that you get and, and everything else. Um, it's also good because you're at quite a distance from your subject. And you, as you build up that rapport with your, with your subject, you know, um, it's useful to keep that distance at first. And what I tend to do is, uh, so halfway through the shoot, I switch to the 85. And then I'm, of course, considerably closer. But by that time, I've built up that relationship. And this sort of fear is gone. You know, we're now, or the subject is now used to being photographed and the light's going off and, you know, that massive lens in their face and all, all the rest mm-hmm. of it. And you get closer. And the funny thing is, um, with pretty much every session, 80 to 90% of the shots that the client picks in the end are shot with the 85. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, you know, the 7200 on one hand, sort of the warm up lens almost. It is, yeah. But even when I look at the shots and I compare them, I actually, I really almost always prefer the look of an 85. Mm-hmm. It's a great focal length. It's, yeah, there's, it's, a, there's a reason it's, it's as popular as it is. Exactly. Um, so it's great for that. If for an all-rounder lens, though, and I'm just looking at the EXIF data on Lightroom, the 35 millimeter for me has been yeah. is the most popular lens that I use on a wedding day. Yeah. Um, 85 millimeter really would well if I owned one, it, and it did only come out during the couple portrait session when I had that controlled yeah. environment. But yeah, the 35 mil for most things. But you're quite right. It's 7200 is the warm up couple portrait lens for me yeah yeah that's that's it i mean the, the 85 you know for me i use i use it really 95 percent of the time i use it for um headshots you know close portraits that sort of thing um anything from the top of the chest upwards really mm. Mm. Um, oh, it's cracking lens it's a great lens i mean you know it's it's either a 50 or 35 um in, in actual fact i mean i don't actually have a 35 you do um i use a 24 to 70 for for wider portraits very yep. often 
um, because I actually quite like the slight distortion you get at the wide end. Mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So while you guys have just been chatting, I have been looking up the uh, the Canon 8 RF85s and I was right. I just oh, want to say. Right. There are oh, two. Does, does that mean we're not cutting out that bit? No, we are not Whoa! cutting out oh, that okay, bit. Right. <laughs> so they do, they do the, the 1.285 and then they do a 1.285 with DS coating on it. Oh, right. Okay. okay. Which, um, now there is a price difference, as you can imagine. The one without the coating, and I'll tell you what that does in a second. The one without the coating what? is, hang on, is £2,870. That's without right. the coating. With the coating, it's three thousand three hundred. Whoa! Now, if you but if you have a look, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to show this on online, but there's the difference. So on the right is the without the coating. You're lovely looking bokeh, and on the left is the one with this coating. Mm. Can you see how? How would you describe? Okay, the difference so between interesting those? thing about this actually. Um, when I look at the bokeh, or bouquet, or bokeh, whatever you want to call it. Um, I prefer the one with the coating, but if I look at the model's face, I like the one without the coating much better. It's interesting, isn't it? They are different. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, when I look at the actual, when I, yeah, when I look at the yeah. actual face, um, there's no doubt. I um, wonder how they've, I wonder if they were shot differently at different times. So does that mean you need, to, you need both lenses, take the same shot <laughs> twice, and, well, then, composite them, and right. then composite them together. <laughs> I so love that. That's the best of both worlds. So the, so this is what they say on the overview for this particular lens. Um, uh, it offers superb sharpness along with exceptionally smooth out of focus highlights, the silky smooth bokeh, and they do put that in the in the rabbit ears. Is it phonetically spelled? Is made possible thanks to the, to a new DS coating, producing a lens that is perfect for sensitive portraits, where capturing exquisite detail with beautiful background separation is desired. Right. So all that means is that the uh, the bokeh is slightly more bokeh-y. <laughs> what, what I, you know, it, you could combine this. If you, if you created a lens that had basically the coating only around the outside of the lens and left a centerpiece that's uncoated. Yeah, it'd know, be interesting. That way you can get the best of both worlds. Yeah. yeah. So what I remember is looking this up, um, the DS coating, and they got a whole page dedicated to that DS coating, what it's all about. Hmm. Um, I'm on it now. There's quite some price difference for I'm, it. Yeah, but, I'm, you know, I'm looking at these two images um and it's i find it hard to believe that that that, that, that poker looks as sharp as it does on the non-coded ones i'd like to see a other mm. test because i don't think that's a particularly great comparison there. no it's not um I, i'm on the i'm on the canon uk website about it and to me the non-coating looks bigger the bokeh looks bigger yeah yeah because it doesn't it doesn't fade at the um or fuzzes out as much as sharper. Um, but it, what do you think, Tommy? If you look at the model's face, what, what's your impression of that? Uh, honestly, I'm th- not saying I prefer one or the other, but it looks like there's more bokeh on the on a on the coating without on on mm. without the defocus. Yeah. Defo- it to me the one that's without the coating looks like a shallower depth of field because the bokeh balls are bigger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I think it's I think it's personal taste. Yeah, yeah, it is absolutely, definitely. I I I I wouldn't be I wouldn't be yearning for the DS coating to be honest. Um, no. The the one without that. looks more. It looks it looks shallower to me. The bokeh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's because it's just personal preference. 
I'd like to see some full-on comparisons of those. Um, so, Kenan, if you're listening, please send us both the lenses so yes. we can do if a full-on review. Yeah. Yeah. To up, make up, up, a com- comprehensive, yeah, decision. Yeah. Very comprehensive. It might take about 10 years to do the comparison, though. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Just saying. And Tommy needs to do them, too. So, yes. you know, maybe we can get a couple. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. We already know I'm, I, I, I take a year to bring out you yeah. know, a video yeah. now. David, David, if you're listening to this, as I know you are... <laughs> This is his chance. <laughs> so, Tommy, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show again. Um, and of course, we'll be we'll be back uh, in the new year with some some of the some of the projects that we've got mm-hmm. in the pipeline. Oh, yeah. So, this is it. This we've come to the end of episode eighty four of the Camera Shake podcast. I should probably be looking at the camera at this point. That always makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, be reminded that if you are listening to <laughs> That's just weird. If you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, um, you can find us over on YouTube. Um, it's youtube.com forward slash, forward slash camera shake. I can't even talk today. Anyway, um, where you can not only listen to our beautiful voices, but also see our comprehensive faces <laughs> in full technicolor. Hop over there. Also, um, you know, be reminded that uh, you can um, check out our camera shake podcast.com website. And join the community over there. That's a little button that says join the community. Um, that way, you'll always be in the know when something new and exciting is about to happen. Mm. Now, there will be some announcement, announcements in the not-too-distant future. If you want to mm. be the first one to hear about those, uh, make sure you hop over to cameracheckpodcast.com, hit the join the community button, and be one of the first ones to know. Anyway, Tommy, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for having me. We'll see you again next Thursday, as always. Peace out.